0: are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 21st of June. A few days of depression and suffering and jazz fans now come to grips with the season over. We break down what it means, what happened, where we go from here. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan or just giving you a hug, just giving you a virtual jazz fan hug after a stunning, disappointing end to the NBA season, and we'll try to digest it the best we can. Today's show is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is what Locker Room was, it has now been rebranded. You can download the Green Room app from your iOS App Store and find one of the Green Rooms, changing the way we talk about sports. Uh, wow, stunning. Uh, uh, It is Monday midday. This all happened, uh, you know, Friday night. And I think we all wanted to be calling a game or going to game seven and up 25. We all thought we were going to. Uh, And so what happened? Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of narratives of, of what happened. um, And the disappointment I think is real. It, And it really, frankly, can only be more disappointing when you see Brooklyn go out, you see Philadelphia get upset, uh, Chris Paul unable to play. I mean, I I do think that those people that are walking around saying, like, when are we ever going to get an opportunity that good? The door was wide open. Those things are true. I mean, that is the crushing part of this loss by the Jazz is that there is not going to be many seasons – Unless the NBA is about to have just a quantum change that that maybe maybe we're in the some new era. Frankly, it's worth discussing over the off season of whether we are in a new era. If you think back, the the dominant team that we've seen the last dominant team was due to a salary cap abnormality where Kevin Durant was able to sign with the Warriors, and since then. It's kind of been all over the map, right? Like it was a Toronto and a Lakers with LeBron, and certainly their injuries seem to (coughs) be such that they should be dominant for a while, but maybe not. Maybe we're not going to see these. Maybe it's not going to work out that these teams, um, you know, you have these dominant. We are going to have this wild kind of, up and down, and different teams, and wide open championships year in and year out. We'll see, but for the Jazz, I don't think there's any question that there was a there was a a route, um, a golden opportunity, an unbelievable season. And you know, I think there's a lot of questions that are left here. Some things have been certainly exposed that are real, and we can't deny them. Uh, on the other end, like Brooklyn went out because their starting point guard was out, and their starting shooting guard had a hamstring injury. Like there's. And injuries are a part of the deal. Having injuries to your two primary ball handlers simply was way more than we could overcome. I don't know if it makes anyone feel any better. It's really clear if you listen to the locker clear out in the conversations around the team. Like, Mike Conley wasn't playing Game 7. He might have tried, but it didn't. You know, Mike Conley wasn't playing Game 7, and I don't know that Donovan Mitchell would have actually been able to fire back up in 36 hours. So while the Game 6 collapses, you know, historic there's and it was it was a huge collapse um i don't know that we actually pull off game seven i think we were we were had broken down uh donovan's ankle on a fluke injury where ed sumner whips his leg around and gets him and then he runs into paul george at the end of game two and mike conley's hamstring which you know was clearly an ongoing issue Left and right over the last two years, and he hadn't played more than you know five or six games in a row, so maybe that was inevitable. Um, but that you know that's that's a lot of what happened here. So as we evaluate this, I, it's an interesting process. There, there's no question that the Clippers completely exposed two massive weaknesses on the Jazz, and if you've been listening to Locked On Jazz, other than the show before Game Six, where I thought you know, our group would come together and, and put it together. The The conversations, much to some of your, your bemusement and upset with me over it, was been that they had answers to stuff, right? Game two, if you go back, the minute they switched Joe Ingles one through five pick and rolls, I was like, we are in trouble. Because we just didn't have... They had exposed what our weaknesses were without Mike Conley. They figured out how to play us without Mike Conley. We really never figured out how to play them without Mike Conley. I'm not sure there was an answer. I mean, that's really... One of the things I think is important here is in, in a lot of, you know, I, I hate to do shows that are based on Twitter, but I sometimes think Twitter is representative of how a lot of people feel. Like, did Quinn get coached by Tyron Lue? Sure. The Clippers won four in a row. So Tyron Lue deserves a world of credit. I don't know that there was an answer to any of the issues of what took place to us like Quinn couldn't have created another dribble drive ball handler out of thin air for us to deal with the fact that they were switching us 1 through 5 with four guys who were 6'8 220. Tyron Lu to his credit figured out the answer was play the four guys who are six eight two twenty, switch 1 through 5 and then hold Zubak for non-Donovan minutes and match him to Joe Ingles, so then they can keep switching. And you take away our ball movement. We 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 end up with like 210 passes by the end of the series. Now we're not the 380 pass team that we were when the when Quinn first started playing that style. We've evolved, but 210 has got to be one of our lowest numbers of the year. So that so Tyronn Lue had an answer to us, and that has to be addressed. Like, okay, this is now. This is something the Clippers do us. What, what has to be addressed as we move forward is how many other teams in the NBA can do that? And how many other teams in the NBA will be able to do that over the next three years? So the Lakers with Andre Drummond, Marcus Sol, Montrez Harrell weren't gonna be able to do that unless they pulled their three centers and played Anthony Davis at the five, and then I'm not even sure that Anthony Davis can switch the way Marcus Morris can. I don't think Phoenix could do that, right? They got, unless they're going to pull DeAndre Ayton, just on the defensive side, just solely on the defensive side. We'll talk about the offensive side. Uh, uh, we'll talk about what, uh, offensively what they did to us in a second. So I don't think they—Denver wouldn't do that because they're not going to pull Jokic, Now, Denver with Jamal Murray addressed another problem that you have to be so attached to Jokic, you've got to be able to guard Jamal Murray, and we didn't do that very well last year in the offseason, or in in the bubble. So, you actually run down the teams. Golden State could do this. Like, Golden State next year will have Draymond Green as their center, unless they play James Wiseman, but this is why Golden State got better the minute Wiseman got hurt, and they could do it. So, Philadelphia can't do it. Milwaukee could do it, but they'd have to not play Brook Lopez, which maybe they're fine with, but that's a pretty key point to who they are. Brooklyn could have definitely done it, but without the defensive prowess of the Clippers. I mean, the key thing of the Clippers was they're 6'8", 220 across the board, and then with Terrence Mann, they're 6'5", 220. Reggie Jackson was their only weak on-ball defender that they had on their roster. So what caused us the problems was, one, they're switching, so then we don't have the open passing because everyone's being guarded. Two, they take us, once they're switching, as you guys know, if you've listened to the show, you you've, you know this, they take us out of what we do best, which is our pick and roll. But the key to what they did that was unique to the way Lawrence Frank built that roster, and he deserves tremendous credit, is th- Reggie Jackson was the sole poor defender on the floor. And so every time we ran somebody, uh, re- ran Reggie Jackson, to the ball on Donovan trying to get a mismatch are only one singular player that could beat somebody one on one they double teamed it then they're swinging it and with other than Jordan we didn't have anybody else who could really beat someone one on one and until Jordan hit a bunch of floaters in game 6 he had had a miserable series in the two point range so we we've 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 hashed this out so from an offensive standpoint i don't know yeah, more ball creation would be great. We had it with Mike Conley. We had it with Donovan. The reason we thought we were different than the Atlanta Hawks all season long was because of that. I'm not sure there's that many other teams that can do it, and I'm just not sure how many teams are going to have four to five to six, six, six to six, eight, 220-pound guys who are able to switch one through five and do it well defensively. And then if you, eventually what ends up happening is you have to have multiple ball handlers to attack that. But... And so it'll be interesting to see as that series goes. Devin Booker was great last night, and they were on 36 hours. If the Clippers can start to dig in, and they played their centers a lot because DeAndre Ayton could make plays. The, 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 the elephant in the room we cannot deny is Rudy. Rudy does not have two skills that are needed on the offensive end to be able to combat that defense. We'll touch on that, and then we'll talk about what they did to us defensively, and look at that. And we'll, since Rudy is the number one conversation of all things right now, uh, we'll discuss that as well. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located forty six. Excuse me, located in Woods Cross, as well as in. Logan, if you're going to stop by, please feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'd love to set up a meeting for you over at Murdoch Chevy. The 2021 Silverado is just the most fabulous truck in the world. I'm sure the truck driver, the guys who drive the Silverado have their towing capacity, They probably don't love this comparison. Like To me, when I had it, it was literally like sitting in a Lazy Boy chair. You were so comfortable. You were above the road. You just felt like you were just chilling. It was amazing. The SUV lineup is superb as well, highlighted by the 2021 Equinox. The Blazer and the Trailblazer, the smaller tracks are the biggest traverse, and then there are the standards you know so well, the Tahoe and the Suburban. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, as well as in Logan. Stop on by 0%. APR for 0% for six years uh, right now. 0% APR for six years on selected vehicles. Uh, So go check that out if you're looking for the market for a car right now. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com so that we can set you up with a VIP meeting. Today's show is also brought to you by Indeed. If you're out there hiring, it's time-consuming. It's difficult. It takes entire departments. You're a small startup. You can't. So here it is. Post, screen, and interview. As easy as one, two, three on Indeed. Get a quality list of sh- candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your do- job description. You get it faster, 27% faster, actually. That's right. Indeed's instant match, giving you the quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description and, D- and include Indeed skill tests. On average, reduce hiring by 27%. You can choose from 130 skills tests and must-have requirements in there to be able to narrow that down list. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than other job sites. So jump on it now and get started with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid. Through June 30th, that's only nine days away. So, offensively, there's two things that Rudy can't do uh, or hasn't been able to do. I, I, I'm reluctant to use the word can't with Rudy considering the fact he has found a way to do things um, seemingly forever uh, and get better. So, one is he, he just, you you can't throw him the ball at eight feet out, post him up, have him make a play. He just, that's not his game. The other one that actually was probably the bigger issue is as they sent three and four guys down to the basket to bump him and dislodge him, he wasn't able to dominate on the offensive glass. And that's probably the biggest problem for that happened in this series is that when they rolled and they got somebody underneath Rudy, one, Rudy wasn't able to be able to go down and abused them down low when they got underneath him, even if they were Reggie Jackson. The second problem was when we missed, Rudy is so top-heavy. He doesn't have a a, a big, forceful massive lower body the way Zubak or Valanchunas or someone like that does, but this is also the same, let's make sure you understand this, the same aspect is why he's so agile, why he can do multiple actions, why he's the greatest defensive player in the world. All the positives about Rudy in his incredible ability to block a shot and grab a rebound, alter a shot and grab a rebound, hedge on the pick and roll, we'll get back to all like all those things are a detriment when it becomes a physical power battle, he gets hit low, he gets dislodged. He's not able to grab that rebound. His hands are not super. He, and then offensively, they were pushing him on every roll, which was dislodging him. And because he is, because he doesn't have that massive base, therefore he's not able to hold his ground as well as some others maybe would in that circumstance when they're getting pushed and, you know, you can we can complain. I don't mean this is a complaint. This is facts. They they were not calling that, um, and so that made it very very difficult uh, in that regard. All right. So that, that now on the defensive end, this gets really tricky. This gets really tricky. The strategy was, so the Clippers abandon their offense. The Clippers, who were the third best pick and roll offensive team in the league, realized. And this is like we were almost too good for our own good here. They realized that if we want to play, if we play pick and roll, Rudy's involved and we won't score. And again, give immense credit to Tyron Liu because he occasionally would like fiddle back to see like maybe something's changed and it wouldn't change. And they ran enough picks that. They kept everyone involved. But they basically, if you got down to it in the series, they started, by the end of the series, they'd almost run the same amount of picks when Rudy Gobert was on the floor as they did when Derek Favors was on the floor. And Rudy was playing 40 minutes and Favors was playing eight. Like, it's a, it's an amazing number to think about for a second. They basically ab- abandoned the pick and roll when Rudy was on the floor. So what they then did was they spread out the floor one through five and just dribble, drove the whole time. And we didn't have an answer at all. And our answer, really, by the end, there's no other way to say it, frankly, looked foolish. I'm not sure it was foolish. I understand what it looked like. Because what it was, was they drive, whoever was in the corner, Rudy would leave his man to go deal with to stop the layup and force the ball out to the wing. And the Jazz Terrence Mann, who was 40% three-point shooter during the season, but two of nine in the series in, in the playoffs and had not been particularly, you know, had, had been openly reluctant to shoot, literally came out between, in halftime of game four, in LA, like while the team was in the huddle and like was taking shots to work on his game it was clearly in his head and they they risked that he would not knock down shots. And not only did he knock down shots, he knocked down thirty nine points worth of shots. And that that was the problem. Now what the answer to that is, I don't really know. And this is the thing that, to me, is the most disconcerting moving forward. Because we still were great on the pick and roll. They got nothing on pick and roll. They averaged like .9 points per pick and roll. They averaged 1.6 points per drive. They also killed us in transition. Like I think we have to be a little careful of overwhelmingly altering everything we do defensively and who we are defensively. When we remember that they scored 31 points in transition in Game 6. They just ran by us. Which is really, if you go back to our halftime interview with Coach Mike Wells, he, he literally said, we just got to keep him in the half court. We'll be all right. And we couldn't do it. But the, this, is, this is the most concerning one for me moving forward. Rudy, people are going to take Rudy out of the pick and roll. Frankly, the Jazz coaching staff knew this like on the fifth game of the season. And we're trying to deal with ways of building something because they knew this was coming. Rudy's just too good in the pick and roll. No one has success. And so and we can hug our shooters. And so the answer is spread the floor, dribble drive. Dallas did it to us. The Clippers did it to us in the fifth game of the year. And pull Rudy out because he's guarding someone on the outside. And then the minute Rudy comes in, you kick to that shooter. I don't I have not I did not decide to be a sadomasochist and rewatch the second half. I had it downloaded, I was gonna do it, and I just I couldn't do it. So I don't know if there's a different rotation. Could if we X somebody from the top down to the corner, but then frankly Rudy's gotta go up to the top. Do at least make them make one more pass to get them to the next shooter. Are you better off them making one more pass and then they're probably getting a better and you're no longer choosing the shooter, we were at least choosing the shooter, he ended up making shots. Um, you know, they had one of the great shooting halves of the game. The cons- I, I don't know the answers to that on that specific night. What I do think the question moving forward is, this is not going to be rare. I'm not sure how many teams are going to have four or five guys, six, eight, two, twenty who can defend the way the Clippers did. We just ran through the league and said, well, oh, that's awfully hard to do. I am pretty certain that within two or three years, every team could put five shooters on the floor. Or almost every good teams going to be able to put five shooters on the floor. And so if you can't guard your yard, and they're just blowing by you every single time on drives, then it's going to be a pretty significant issue. Because that's, Rudy's got to, like, that's the answer. Rudy has to come in. And when that suddenly starts happening, we're in trouble. Paul George drove 36 times on Royce O'Neal in series. They averaged 1.6 points per drive. Like Donovan Mitchell torched Reggie Jackson, as we talked about earlier. We, we had the same thing going. We found the same matchup. Then they started doubling it. But, and, they, and they did a great job. And we didn't have another ball handler to be able to make that play. And Donovan Mitchell, when he drove on Marcus Morris in the series, got virtually nothing. Got virtually nothing in that, in the series. Because 6'8", 220, they rotated well. They did, they did a fabulous job. But on our end, we ended up with just a miserable time stopping the ball, driving, and if everyone's got five out and Rudy's defending, then there's not a lot we could. I, I don't know the answer to that. We have to get guys that can guard their yard, is really the answer to that. Paul George isolated Royce O'Neal. He averaged 1.8 points per per game. When he isolated Rudy Gobert, he got .6. So it's not that Rudy couldn't defend. And that's the other thing. They stopped running pick and roll because then if we just switched it, Rudy ends up on the ball. They just removed Rudy, and we couldn't stop the penetration. Reggie Jackson just blew by Jordan Clarkson. Paul George was not bothered by Joe Ingles. That was the reality. Mike Conley said it himself, he couldn't move. And that's the concern going forward, is this is not going to be rare. Having rosters that can put five guys who can all shoot the three at above 35%, Outside the arc. We did it this year, basically. We had four. And it's going to force you to defend in space. That's going to be the most difficult thing moving forward for the Jazz. The Clippers exposed our Achilles heel on both sides of the floor. It was just a miserable matchup. One of them I don't think a lot of other teams could have exposed. Phoenix... They would have probably had to take DeAndre Ayton off the floor for portions of the game, but they go five out with Dario Saric and suddenly are playing, and maybe you can choose Jay Crowder to shoot, but they're, they would have been able to play five out with Cameron Payne, Chris Paul on the bench, play Cameron Payne, Devin Booker, Bridges or Tory Craig, who's not a great ball handler, she probably could have tried to do some things off him. Jay Crowder and Dario Sarge, and they would have, sp- and Frank Kaminsky, and they would have spread the floor five wide and come at us. Lakers could do it the minute they pulled a big off the floor and played Anthony Davis, and they would have come down the hill at us. The, The Nuggets did it to us last year in the series. That was the problem with Jamal Murray because Jokic played five out. This is the problem for us moving forward. This is the item that we have to figure out how to address, but that gets difficult, and that, frankly, gets into a bunch of moves we made two years ago, which were the right moves, and now where do we go from there, and I'll talk about that when we come as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, nine base flavors... And then all sorts of fun surprises for you every now and then with 100% real chocolate and 100% really delicious on every single one of those. Orange, strawberry, mint brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, coconut, double chocolate, cookies and cream, and cherry barcia are your nine base flavors. Is it a candy bar or a protein bar? Sometimes it's hard to tell. And when you look at the macros, it's really hard to tell. Just 130 calories tells you it's a protein bar. But 2.5 fat grams, 4 grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein compared to, if you want a Snickers, it's 280 calories and 34 carbs compared to the four if you want a, a, a protein bar, some of those come in right around the same area of, you know, 25 sugar grams, 30 carb grams. You're not dealing with that with Built Bar. It's healthy. It tastes like a candy bar. It frankly, tastes like you're cheating, and you're getting a great health as well as great flavor. It's all Built Bar. Use the promo code Locked On or Locked 15 and get 15% off. That's Locked 15 and get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Daily podcast for you, Locked On Today, gives you 20 minutes of all the things you need in the sports world, uh, covering them with the local experts of the Locked On Podcast Network. So I think we've addressed, like, there's a big question of what do we do following the series. There is an issue that I think we have to, like, just, like, let me just throw it out there. I don't have an answer. Like, to not throw it out there would be negligent. We have two pretty significant collapses in both the last two years. Up 3-1 to Denver, up 2 to the Clippers, up 25 in the third quarter. Like, is there anything in our makeup that actually is causing that? Like, that has to be addressed. I, I, I'm going to guess the answer to that's no. But if you don't think about that and address that in some way, that's significant. Is there something in the way we play? Is there something in our makeup of our team? Is there something in our structure? Like, is there something about us... That, Or do we just, that happens. There's swings in games, swings in series. That's what happens. I think you have to, you know, Doc Rivers has now blown seven series lead as a head coach. Like, if you're not addressing that, you're ignoring something that at least has to be looked at. You know, there's a phrase I keep hearing everyone kind of use. Like, the Jazz should be questioning. This is what good companies do. The Jazz should be questioning everything they're doing. And they do it whether they whether they win or lose. They they, they frankly question. They it, when when you're done questioning, does not mean you actually have to change every single thing. What you should do through your questioning is you should go through a systematic questioning of of what you're doing, why things happened, how it happened, and then decide. You know what? Actually, I think I found a flaw here. We need to address. Actually, I didn't find a flaw here. We're not changing that. Like, that's actually the way you do this. So when I hear like you know, you got a question. Yeah, you should question everything. You, frankly, should do it all the time. All right, so here's the thing that's so interesting to me. And I don't know how where we go in this progression, but two years ago, we made four or five moves. We traded... Basically, Mike Conley for Ricky Rubio, which we've talked about this. This is an offensive move. We got Boyan Bogdanovich instead of Derek Favors as our power forward. We got George Yang instead of Jay Crowder. We got Jordan Clarkson instead of Dante Uxman like a crazy steal that's unbelievable we pulled off. And then we, in turn, kind of traded old Derek, got an older Derek Favors for what was a younger Derek Favors. The impact of that is we went from an offensive or defensive base team to an offensive base team. And what got exposed in the Houston and the Golden State series is we just weren't good enough offensively. Even if we had a positive impact defensively, our offense couldn't build the you know bridge the gap. So we became, over the last two years, an offensive team. And really what we built was a defensive team or an offensive team with the greatest defensive player in the world. But if we go through the numbers, over the last two years, whenever Rudy's been off the floor... We're awful defensively. And what the Clippers just did to us, which, as I'm saying, I think most teams will be able to do going forward, or many teams, is eliminate Rudy from the defensive equation, and then we become a really, really not very good defensive team. These moves were all the right moves. We could not go any longer with Favors and Gobert together. Rubio's offense was... And frankly, you know, look at what's happened to Utah and Phoenix after Rubio's left. I love Ricky, but like, there's really something to be said. Like when he leaves, you know, look what happens to a team. He, you know, came off the bench for Minnesota. Like he's not he's not that level of player that we that we're talking about here. But what happens? So these were all the correct moves to become more offensive because that gave us a chance to compete. We had the number one seed, all these all these things. But the the truth is, what we did is we built a team that's t- statistically, at least terrible when Rudy's off the floor. We were in the 23rd percentile when Rudy was off the floor this year defensively, and the year prior, we were in the 16th percentile defensively when Rudy was off the floor. And that's with vastly different personnel. It doesn't mean we actually weren't good. Our Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Tony Bradley lineup of two years ago was actually so good offensively, we were still good. We just weren't good defensively. This year, the Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Royce O'Neal, Boyan, Derek Favors lineup was really good. It was plus 8. And our Jordan Clarkson, or our Donovan, Royce, Boyan, Joe Favors was, was plus 4. We were still really good. We just weren't good defensively. And so what the Clippers basically did was like, oh, you're not good defensively without Rudy. They We removed Rudy. So we have to become a better defensive team in a manner where players are able to do things defensively that are not just named Rudy Gobert so that when a team can move Rudy out of the middle that we still are able to do it. And the fact is, by the way, for all of our offensive worries, if you really dig into the numbers, our offense was pretty good in this series. The the issue really stems all back to defense. And what's tricky here as we move forward is how do you weigh... These two different things, right? We made the right moves over the last two years, and these five different moves to become a great offensive team. Well, now we got to swing back and become a better defensive team if Rudy gets eliminated, but we can't, we don't want to lose what makes us great. And let me just remind you that, like, the great defensive player that can also shoot or dribble and create is called an all star. So this is a really, really difficult challenge because I do think this is the area where the league is trending. We haven't had the Dame Lillard, Steph Curry generation of players yet. They're coming, and when they come, there's and the seven-footers that can all shoot, there's going to be, over the next five years, more and more teams that can do offensively what the Clippers did to us. So how do we address that is the issue going forward. It impacts what we decide with Mike Conley, it impacts with how you build your roster, it impacts what trades you may or may not make, it impacts the type of players you bring in which then may impact the way you play offensively, right? We have had versatile offensive players who we we're looking for the dribble and the passer, we'll figure out how to make them shoot and let, like let and have them evolve. We've had this incredible run of player development of Joe Ingles and Royce o'neill and George and Yang. They're similar players. They probably are forgotten a little bit because they're not elite athletes. But they can they can pass and move and dribble and they we'll get them to shoot and we create something out of them rather than and and our style match that. We've evolved as a team, so maybe we don't have to have that style of player. Can or we have to develop other types of players? Like in the past, I would have said, like, we probably didn't want a Mo Harkless or an Al Farouk Amino. They can't dribble. They can't pass. They can't play in our system. Yeah, we might be changing. Our passes have gone from 390 down to like 260. We're not quite the same team. Maybe we're now better built to be able to add those type of players moving forward. Be interesting to see. We'll continue to talk about it. We'll continue to be daily here for a while. We'll address the Mike Conley situation tomorrow. Some of the aspects of that. We'll review some of the seasons. We'll look at where we are uh, and continue the uh, download on a season. And uh, hopefully you're all getting the basketball hugs you need from various places. This is Locked On Jazz, part of Locked On Podcast Network.